you know, diligence, staying in the game, I think is really what you're saying, being the cockroach, yeah. you know, being there, being dedicated, doing what, what's asked of you every single day, you know, proved this 20 year journey to be worth it. If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. 10,000 No's is a roadmap built by guests who have blazed trails, silenced critics, and overcome the odds by facing down their fears and transforming their failures into fuel. I don't care if you're young or old, healthy or sick, there is always an opportunity for growth. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 No's. Happy Mother's Day weekend to all the moms out there who will be celebrated this Sunday for this special occasion. I've brought you someone who has been celebrated as a TV mom for years. With me today is Melissa Ponzio. She's best known to a younger generation for her portrayal of Melissa McCall, mother of Scott McCall, the central character on MTV's smash hit Teen Wolf. I met her when I joined the cast in their third season as her ex-husband, but more about that in the episode. Melissa is also known for her runs on Army Wives, The Walking Dead, and her ongoing stint on Chicago Fire. On social media, her nearly 700,000 Instagram followers and over 600,000 Twitter followers are vehemently loyal to her because she leads from a place of authenticity and genuine outreach to those who do not feel heard. That honest essence certainly comes through in this conversation as she walks us through the incredibly long and arduous path she's traveled from obscurity to the screen in your living room. This comes complete with some pretty embarrassing but funny stories of ridiculous gigs she has suffered through in the early years. She even gets me to open up about some absurd gigs I endured as well. Full of fight, passion, honesty, and integrity, this conversation will have those of you who are already rabid fans fall more in love with her and those who, even if you've never heard of Melissa Ponzio, respecting the 10,000 no's it takes to make it as a professional actor. Here she is, Melissa Ponzio. Because I think people don't realize what it's like to be an actor, what the journey is and the grind is. And so I'm just going to share something. Your first IMDb credit was in 1999, Whoop. uncredited as New York executive. Yes. In a... I believe it was a, a TV show. Miniseries? Yeah, it was it like a, I think they called it a TV movie. Yes. Then you had a string of, of like one or two episode guest spots mm -hmm. until uh, 2007, you were cast as Angie in Army Wives. Yes. You had some more one-off guest spots, mm -hmm. and then you were cast as Melissa McCall in Teen Wolf mm -hmm. on MTV, which is where I met you. Playing your ex, so lucky husband, and um, that was in 2011. Lasted till 2017, 71 episodes. Yeah. In 2013, so while you were doing Teen Wolf, you played the role of Karen in the virally popular Walking Dead. Um, and then in 2014, you get cast as Donna Robbins, the love interest of Eamon Walker. Is it Eamon? Is that how he pronounces mm -hmm. it? Uh, who was the fire chief, Wallace Bowden, on Chicago Fire. So, Well, when I, you say it like that. <laughs> well, the, you, the reason I bring it up, because when you look at your history, there were some real, I think, lean times in the beginning. And that's what the show is all about. How do we overcome the nose and get there? And I feel like your attitude, and we're going to get into your athletic background, uh, your swimming background mm. particularly, uh, but I feel like your attitude is what has you not only having survived the, the beginning years, but now thriving as in the recent years. And um, I'm going to I'm going to compare you and your fans are going to get <laughs> are going to be like, what is he doing? But I would call myself this as well. I was okay. going to say you're a bit of a cockroach. Yes, <laughs> and absolutely. I looked up, so I looked up cockroach, and okay. it says they are common and hardy insects. 
and can tolerate a wide range of environments from Arctic cold to tropical heat. And I feel like that describes you and me, it, it, which is you just know how to survive and stick around. And on all of those shows, I feel like they started as one thing and you, with your acting, with your attitude, with people wanting to be around you, with all of it, your leadership have turned those things into really long, great jobs. Well, thank you. Yeah. When you say it like that, really, thank you. It, it's been a long, arduous journey. And I would even take it back. Let's take it back even further where, you know, you're making decisions to come into this world of acting and you're sending out your, you know, your high school senior picture, you know, with the rose and the unibrow, <laughs> hoping that an agency is going to call you. And then all of a sudden you find yourself doing background work and you think it's going to be amazing. Right. Um and then you sign with like an agency that really wants to rep you and you realize and they're honest and they say, hey, you know, um, we'll take you on. But there's like 15 other girls that are ahead of you. And, you know, when you're young and you're really thinking about things, you know, I knew I was like, all right, well, those 15 girls, that's fine, because some of them are going to get booked on other shows and some of them are going to age up and some of them are going to have babies and whatever. And then all of a sudden, you know, one day I'm going to be one of the top three that they sent out. And so it's like, you know, diligence. Staying in the game, I think, is really what you're saying. Being the cockroach, yeah, you know, being there, being dedicated, doing what what's asked of you every single day, you know, proved this 20 year journey to be worth it. Yeah, but it takes time and it takes diligence and it, and it takes doing all those old school things. I think, like what you're what you're talking about, you know. Yeah, everybody has some skill, everybody has some talent that can be honed, but there's all these other things that a lot of people don't talk about, and they're just your basic things. You know, be nice, show up on time, know your lines. You know, like small things like that. That I think, you know, hitting your mark. Yeah. Hey, how about that? Hitting your mark. Yeah. <laughs> people will love you if you hit your mark. Yeah. You know, those small things also prove to be in people's memories and be like, you know. She's a professional. Yeah. Not only can she do the material, but like we want to work with her. Yeah. And I think that is what's proven the most is that if you can leave somebody with an impression that they want to work with you again, then then you've really done your job. Yeah. And that was my experience working with you. So to describe to people who uh, were not fans of Teen Wolf, by the way, there are many, many <laughs> rabid fans out there that will probably listen to this episode because they absolutely love you. Um, but for those of you that and don't you know- too. And, and me too. Well, and you too. Well, I was just about to say, I came on. Uh, so Melissa played Melissa McCall, who is the f mother of Scott McCall, who is the main- um, the main actor in the show, Teen Wolf. And she was a single mom for three seasons. And then I come on and I was kind of this D-bag FBI no. agent who comes back to town and had a drinking problem. Agent and, McCall, father, yes, husband, yes. who I had to throw out of the house. Yes. And, and, and you came back. Well, what was great about that was I came on and was, was very... Uh, hated in the beginning, yeah. but I knew because we had shot that whole season that I had some redeeming qualities by the end of the season. And so it ended up being nice. And what I was bringing it up for was to say working with you was really a joy because the warmth that you have um, on behind the scenes is also something that I think you exude on camera. And I think that's why all of the fans love you so much. You really have a, a warmth and a grounded quality and it was, and an honesty that made our scenes for, for me so great to play. It was, there was no BS. It was really grounded. And, and I think that my character stuck around for longer than they anticipated because we had a nice rapport with each other. Yeah. That season three was a really magical season, I think, for all the adults on that show. Um, you know, we were being written for and we were really enjoying working with one another. And I think one of the magical things that Jeff Davis did was realize how important parents are. <laughs> Even in a, in a kid's show, parents are really important. I mean, when you look around maybe at other shows at that time, really the kids were the one that were running the material and running the show. And he he made a different choice. And um, I thought that proved to, to be um, a good one because we all had fun. And, you know, and I think the, 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 the fans of the show really, really liked the parents on the show. And yeah. I think that that's a huge compliment. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, I didn't realize what I was getting into, um, when I joined Nor did that I. show, I, I did not know <laughs> that it was, and I, I did not know. I, the first thing I thought when it was Teen Wolf, I said, oh, the Michael J. Fox, you know, that was a movie when I was younger. And, and then I quickly realized it was a gigantic hit. And then online just with Twitter. And I don't know if Instagram was necessarily there at that point. If it was, I wasn't aware of it, but on Twitter, it was crazy. Yeah. I mean, rabid, loyal fan base. And I still have, I'm amazed by how much young people still come up to me and say things, you right. know, like, right. like in odd parts of the world, you know? I remember, uh, you know, I guess it was, I'd have to look back at my account, but let's say that it was mid-2014. And at the time, um, my my daughter and my partner, Kenny, they were like, you need to get on Twitter. And I was like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if anybody's going to follow me. Like, what am I going to say? And Jesse was like, don't worry about it. I'm going to set up your account. It's going to be fine. And so she sets up an account and I put out my first tweet and it's like, test, test. Does anybody hear? You know, I'm thinking that I'm witty or whatever. And so after the first day, you were looking and I'm like, oh, 12 people are following me. This is great. And then like the next day, it's like 70 people. Oh, my gosh. You know, and so you're getting into it. Um, who knew? Who knew that, yeah. you know, like one day it would be hundreds of thousands of people and and to have physical, you know, like real conversations with people on Twitter and, and Instagram and to show people, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer, you know, Everybody already knows what I look like. So I'm not one to post a lot of selfies and I'm not one to post a lot of like uh, glamorous, glamorous shots. shots. Yeah, I don't I don't use Facetunes. I mean, you're seeing my face up there. But, um, you know, it, it's just really wonderful to be able to share to sh to share what I'm seeing or to share what I'm feeling and for people to respond. I think that's a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you you know, that was one thing um, I wasn't thinking we would go to it right now, but we should because oh. it's, no, because it's brought up and then we'll kind of go back in your life. But, um, I wanted to ask you about, you know, as of at least this recording on Instagram, you have 678,000 followers. That's a big number. And they're not just following you. They're very engaged. I see the comments and I see the back and forth and, I'd, you kind of just touched on it, but I'd love to, I mean, I have my perspective of how you handle your social media, which is with such a kind heart. Um, but I'd love to hear you talk to people about it because it's one of those things that at least in the beginning and probably still now people think of it as such a vapid kind of shallow surfacey social media in general. And yet you have used it as a tool to, I think, deal with people that feel isolated or feel depressed or members of the LGBT community, um, cancer victims. You've really used your platform in a way that's been very kind. Could you talk to us a little yeah. bit about like how you it was, did that evolve or, or like, how did you, you weren't coached on it, I don't think, right? It's just kind of. No, um, I, I, I approached it like, I feel like I approach everything um, with authenticity and with honor and with truth, right? I mean, I don't talk about everything on social media, but if you look at my social media, you're you're pretty much seeing me. There are some things that I, I don't necessarily get into. You know, I, I try to stay away from religious beliefs and political beliefs because I, I, I am not a spokesperson for either one of those topics. Right. But yeah, I think it's really amazing. In fact, today, um, you know, when people are hearing this, obviously... We're, we're recording, but today there's um, one of the first transgender job fairs that are happening right here in Los Angeles this afternoon. I think that's really important. And if I can, if I can, you know, put that message out there and a couple of people go to that job fair and they find a job, how amazing is that? Yeah. That's really, really amazing. So, um, you know, I just chose to be a, a real authentic self on, on social media and not try to play that game of everything's perfect and not try to play that game of I've got all the riches in the world. Like, you know, here's yeah. my dog and, you yeah. know, and, you know, and this is what I think about this. And, and yeah, it's, it's, you know, I, I, I honor, I honor the relationship that I have on social media with people and, and, you know, and, and with the organizations that I, I, I can help, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's really, it's really amazing. Good. And we'll talk afterward. And, and so everybody listening knows we'll put it in, we'll put links in the show notes to oh, any organizations that you want to Thank you. spotlight so people can just 
click on a link and go there and help out and get involved if they want. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so, okay. So bring us back a little bit to your younger years yes. growing up because you're talking about being authentic. I know it from being around you. You are honest. It's like the same thing you're saying on social media is how you were on set is how you are in your scenes. Um, where does that come from? Your parents, what, what, you know, what was your upbringing? Where, where were you? You were born in New York city. I was born in New York city, uh-huh. born in New York city. My mom and my pop, um, met at a place called Max's Kansas City, which is a very infamous um, bar and restaurant in New York. And uh, they fell in love and they had me and they were very young parents. And while they loved each other and me very much, it didn't work out. And my mom and pop divorced. And then my mom um, remarried when I was probably maybe five, six, seven around in there. And uh, my my dad um, is in the restaurant business, and so we moved around a lot. And so I, I've kind of been everywhere. We've been from Ohio to Florida to Atlanta, over to California for a little bit, you know. And when you say dad, the man that you're— My stepfather. Your stepfather, yeah. okay. Yeah. And so I just kind of um, moved around a lot. I have a younger brother. And I just think that my mom, you know, was a steadfast woman. And I think that she—that was one of the gifts that she gave to me. And she made me an, an honest person. And um, and she just instilled amazing values. Um, and my mom was my, uh, she was just my soulmate in so many ways. And so she poured into me a lot. And I honor those things that she poured into me, that everyone has poured into me. But, you know, she was like my master class yeah. of how to be a, a good person. So um, I think I get a I get a lot of my strengths and my qualities from her. I have a you know military background in my family. My granddaddy was a full bird colonel. Um, my 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 grandmothers and my, my other grandparents were these amazing characters, and so I think that that's what kind of filled out the drama and you know and and that kind of stuff you know. Um, and so yeah, so all of them really poured into me what I am, and they've they've all just been really steadfast, good people. Yeah. And, and I'm the kind of person that honors that. And so. are, are they still, are your parents still alive? Or? My mom passed actually 10 years ago. Okay. Um, both my, my, um, my pop and my dad are still here and uh, my grandparents have all passed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and were you, um, you grew up, I know sports, swimming, yeah, eventually swimming. at least yeah. was a, was a big deal Huge. to you. And I want to get into that. Yeah. Uh, other sports growing up or were you into theater when you were a kid? Like wh- when did you, when were you bitten by the acting bug and, and what was before that? Was it, was sports like, were you kind of eating, sleeping and drinking? I think my drinking? mom, you know, my mom got me into sports because I was just, I was just uh, crazy. I was just, I had all this energy and I was a really social kid and I think that she knew that I needed discipline. And so she, she, she was like, all right, let's try this. And so I just, you know, I just stuck with it and it was, it was an amazing outlet and, and it wears you out. Swimming really <laughs> wears yeah. you out. Was it always swimming or were it you was, on team sports? No, origi- no, no, just swimming. Really? Yeah. From how old? Um, fifth, sixth grade. Okay. All and that's a there. very solitary sport. I swam a little bit when I was younger, but. It's a very individual um, yeah, team sport. A lot of. Yeah. Quiet time, yeah. very contemplative, and, right? And I, yeah, and I think pool. I've explained this to you. Like, I, I, you know, I at the time I was down in Florida, and I was on a junior Olympic team, but I was the worst swimmer <laughs> on the junior <laughs> Olympic team, but I was still pretty good. And it's one of those things. It's like, I know, there's a couple of things that I know in this world. Um, I know that I love really hard. I know that I can make some pretty kick-ass eggnog. And I know if the ship goes down, I will make it to the island. <laughs> Those are the three things that I know. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a pretty decent swimmer and yeah. I'm not, I'm not necessarily a fast swimmer, but I can go, go, go. Yeah. It's a, it's an, it's an amazing thing to be able to swim because it's all, it's, you know, it is, it's skill-based. You know, a lot of people, when they get in the water, they fight against the water because it really is, it's about the mechanism. It's about the movement. And to me, there's nothing better than when you're in that groove, because when you're in that groove, it's almost effortless. I could swim for miles yeah, without getting tired out because if, you know, if I'm doing freestyle and I get tired, guess what? Doing backstroke. Guess what? I'm going to do breaststroke. Guess what? I'll do a little bit of fly and then I'll go back to freestyle. Like it just, because it's just works out different muscles and everything. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm kind of passionate about it. All of a sudden, I'm like, yay, swimming. No, well, I I, uh, <laughs> I, asked, I asked because I have a sports ba- background as well, and I've had athletes on the show. And, uh, you know, I always feel like so many of the lessons that I learned in sports are now applicable to my career. And and so I, I wondered if there – I would imagine there's a certain mindset that you needed yes. as a swimmer that serves you – as an actor, one, you're performing, uh, two, just that, that, you know, Mental all game. of those miles. Yeah. Mm. I mean, swimmers, you get up early, you get thrown into a cold pool. It's not pleasant, a lot of it, but right. you have to do it. Right. And I think with like any sport, which I think also, you know, leads to what we do in our business, you have to listen. You have to be willing. You have to be willing to listen and you have to be open to your coach, which then translates to being, you know, listening to your director or listening to your writer, listening to the material. Because, I, I, you know, that's one thing that my mom taught me. She was, a, when she was younger, she was a model and an actress herself. She was actually a Ford model before it was cool to be a Ford model. And she went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts for a year. But she's, when I told her that I wanted to be an actress, one of the fi- first things she's like, I can't teach you anything, but I will tell you the one thing that you need to do is listen. And that was gold to me. And that is what I've always done. And I've, um, I feel like it served me well in people that don't listen. I, it does not serve them. Yeah. Have you experienced that? Yeah. I think there's a certain, um, you need to be, have self-knowledge. I also do think, and I've talked about it on this phone, you do have to have a certain amount of uh, willful delusion <laughs> <laughs> because you need to, you need to create a situation that is not reality yet. Right. So there's part of it where you have to believe something that the external world is not yet seeing. Um, but I, I have a question because you talked about hitting your marks before, and we've actually had this conversation, whether you know it or not, or remember it, versions of this conversation. So listening, hitting your marks, serving the material, serving the director. What about the other side? I'd love for you to talk to people about instincts Ooh. where you butt up against um, but up against the director's opinion, do you always defer to them or do you, do you let your, uh, your own voice be heard and say, I, I respectfully disagree and this is the way I'm going to do it. Like, where are you on that, uh, spectrum? I would say that, um, I've only put my foot down. It's few and far between, right? Because I, you know, even coming back a little bit farther, even when, when at an audition, you know, when we have that material and, and we're, we're doing that work, our performance, the only performance is the first time that we deliver it. And then as soon as somebody else chimes in, it's somebody else's cake, right? Because yeah. they're putting in ingredients that we didn't necessarily buy at the store. So, you know, and I feel like even when we're on set, it's a little bit like that. Like I put all these ingredients in. And I come to set and yes, we rehearse and, you know, but I don't do, I don't do, I don't serve you the cake until we're really, you know, we're rolling. Right. And then if somebody comes in and they're like, "Mm, maybe a little bit more cinnamon, you know, I act, I can acquiesce to that. There's been few and far between times when I've been like, yeah, that's not right. And um, one time actually was on um, Teen Wolf and there was this scene where, um, you know, uh, my, my son has done something bad and he needs, he needs to, he's in trouble. And I felt like I needed to come at him really hard. And so I came at him really, really hard. And I remember, you know, the, uh, Jeff was there and he stopped the take and he's like, no, 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 you need to, you need to be more understanding. You were the loving, wonderful mother that's always going to be there and caring for him. And, you know, you're always going to support him no matter what. And it needs to be softer. And I was like, yeah, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> like yeah. I know that we live in Beacon Hills where there's well worlds running around and like the rocks and all this other stuff, but that, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> yeah. She would put a boot in his ass if this had happened. He's like, no, no, no. And I was like, all right. And, and but innately I didn't like it, Yeah. but I still honored it because, yeah. you know, I mean, all I can do is offer my opinion because ultimately not my show, right. I'm just a spoke in the wheel. So, you know, and there's been plenty of times where, you know, maybe I've ad-libbed something or ad-libbed something or, you know, offered something a little bit different. And Jeff's, you know, whoever is like, that's great. All right, like, keep that, whatever. So I honor that as well for as many times as, you know, it's been something organic and fun that I've offered that they've taken. 
if they, you know, if they don't want it, I have to honor that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where I land on that. I think I, I spent a long time just serving whatever their needs were. And I've had a little, you know, in the last few years where I've said like, okay, I, I need to exert, I need to stretch because the, the, as long as it's not coming from a place of ego and, right. and serving me and right. not serving the story right. and, and only I'm going to know that. And I'd like to think that every one of my choices, I could be wrong, but it's always to try to be in service of the story or the show. Right. And so I don't know. I don't know where I land on that. I've I've um, I've done both. There have been times where I've bristled against it, and I'm proud of that. And there are times when you know you find a happy medium. Actually, um, Alan Arkin. There's a great book. It's somewhere on this shelf. Uh, I, it's called An Improvised Life, and he talks about that kind of where he he was bristling at directors, and he couldn't. He couldn't work with anybody because he was so stubborn. Ah. And his therapist ah. said, you know what? You need to try to work with them and see where they're coming from. They're not total imbeciles. Try right. to come to a common ground. And he did that. And he said the collaboration was much better. I so just, I, I do think there's a, there is a happy medium in there. But I just wonder, because you had said about, you know, we, we've just had that conversation. And I, I've i landed on different sides of that conversation at different times, if you ask me, in my career. Right. And then another small story um, on Chicago Fire uh, in one episode. I'm giving birth on a fire truck ladies and gentlemen. And, <laughs> and then, you know, I, you know, my husband is actually, you know, on the show delivering the baby and the baby's out. And then, you know, we get to the hospital and I'm supposed to get out of the, the fire truck engine. And as you know, it's on a, you know, there it's, 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 there's a, you know, it's, it's four feet. You got to jump off the truck. Right. And I remember, um, talking to the director and I, and I said, well, I don't know necessarily that I'm going to just jump off the truck after giving birth. I've literally, this thing just came out of me 10 minutes ago. And she was like, uh, no, 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 just, just, you know, I just need you to leap off. And I was like, no, I think I need to, she's like, no, 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 just leap off. And I was like, all right. It's not another one of those moments where you're right. like, this isn't, this isn't going to work. And sure enough, when you see me jump off that fire truck, a couple of my friends were like, you just gave birth. Like, how are you jumping off that fire truck? So, you yeah. know, so, you know, sometimes, sometimes what they ask for works. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's why I'm not fully, you know, I, I don't know if I'm fully on board with it. It depends on who's yes. giving it and yeah. what the circumstances are. I think it's like a case by case. Um, but I, I do appreciate the overall spirit of serving yes, the and. project. Yes. And. Yeah. And serving mm -hmm. the project and, and, and being an interpreter and, and then also bringing your own voice to it. Um, so you, you swam, mm -hmm. you did junior Olympics, where, what's the timeline of that? Like you, so you swam all through high school. Swam all through high school. I was on the um, high school team. And then my senior year, I kind of just burnt out. Oh, so, so jun when was junior Olympics and during high school? Oh no, I wasn't in jun the junior Olympics. I was just on a junior Olympic team. Okay. Remember I was the worst swimmer. Right. No, but, but when you're yeah. on a junior Olympic team, isn't yeah. that? So no, like I was a just, that was at a, at a, um, like a community pool that was near my house. Okay. And so I just went to practices one, sometimes two times a day. Okay. And so that was year round. And then I swam at school, which was just during the season. Okay. Yeah. And at that point still, did you do plays in high school? Were no, you at all? No, I mean, it was something, you know, uh, you know, I rem there were there were a couple of things that happened in my childhood that I think led to my my choices. Um, one was just having really um, amazing uh, characters in my family. You know, uh, when I was a little girl, you know, if my pop was here, he would tell the story of one time we were at this place called the Riviera Cafe, which is kind of an unknown restaurant up in New York, and we were having lunch. And I must have been, let's say, six to eight, nine. And we're having lunch and I'm seeing this film that's being shot down the street, right? And I'm watching it and Pop's like, hey, this is great. You know, we can watch this while we do lunch. And so in my child's mind, I have this this memory of watching this film being shot on the middle of, the, you know, the New York City streets. And, you know, in my memory, it's like I watched it during lunch. And if you ask my Pop, he's like, no, we sat there for like seven hours. You wouldn't leave. So I had that experience very young of actually seeing something being shot and the mechanism of all of that. And then when I saw Sigourney Weaver, Sigourney Weaver and Alien, yeah, 
I had like a visceral reaction to that as a woman because it was twofold. It was I wanted I wanted to be her and I wanted to be that that up there. Yeah. And I was young when that happened. And, um, you know, if, if any of my family members were here, I used to do like uh, impersonations of my grandmothers and, you know, and crazy things. And, you know, for a while, my mom was a single parent and we didn't have much money. And so we had to use our imagination. And so she would I would pretend like I was an e- a peacock egg, like hatching and, yeah. and, you know, wild imagination, stuff like that. So all of those things, I think, led to me becoming an actress. Yeah. Also, um, I am allergic to responsibility and I have no marketable skills. <laughs> I don't believe either of those. So that's you're why very I'm here responsible. As well. That's no, so funny. No. I think you're so responsible. <laughs> so, so, so when did you actually do a play for the first time? Were you in college or was I it was at- in college? Yeah. yeah, I was in college. I minored in theater and I majored in journalism. Okay. Cause that was something that I thought, you know, mom always said, you need to have a backup plan. You need to have yeah. a degree. And so um, I worked in news for a really long time. I was an assignment editor for the CBS affiliate for three and a half years. During college or after? Um, I interned. Yeah. Then landed a, a gig there at the assignment desk. And then I worked there for this three This is in Georgia? Head. In Georgia, yeah. Okay. Did you, you're a Georgia Bulldog or no, you're- uh, um, I went to the, I went to Georgia State. Georgia State, okay. Panthers were number one. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we didn't even have, I don't even think we had any teams back then. We had a wrestling team that I remember. Basketball and the theater maybe. program though was something that inspired you and you yeah. were still, you were still into it, but you decided to go the journalistic route right. for a little while. And I knew that, um, you know, there was, I was, I was able to do both. I was able to have a stable job and, you know, start a little bit of acting and, you know, just to give people an idea of what acting in outside of Los Angeles, Chicago, New York may be. And again, this was in, in the nineties. In Atlanta. In Atlanta. Okay. You're not just working in Atlanta, you're working the Southeast. And when I say working the Southeast, I mean driving to auditions that are anywhere from six to eight hours away. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. Maybe even sometimes twice a week. So you're living in Atlanta, but you're driving to New Orleans for auditions and you're driving to Wilmington, North Carolina for auditions. And when I say auditions, I'm talking one-liners. We didn't have the ability to put stuff Um, you know, on tape and shoot it off digitally. If we put something on tape, they would have to either FedEx it or Delta Dash it. And that was a luxury to be able to do that. Most of the time it had to be an in-person audition. And so when you talk about the grind, when you talk about work ethic, when you talk about being committed, that's where you learn because you are grateful when you don't have to do a 12-hour trip for a one-liner when you're able to actually, you know, in today's terms, put it on tape or, you know, someone to maybe even just look at your reel now, you know, something that didn't necessarily happen before. Or, hey, I've worked with her before. She can deliver. Let's 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 bring her in for just the callback session so she doesn't have to pre-read. You know, I mean, yeah. the, and, and, you know, years of that. Matthew. That's Years what, okay. Of that. So that's what I want. If you are a fan of Melissa's, particularly from Teen Wolf, and you're, you know, a little bit younger than the two of us, <laughs> um, w- I want you to really hear that. Like I, I love people hearing that because I don't think people. Re- First of all, when people say that acting is glamorous, oh, I mean, and and then people will say, well, for you know the elite of the elite, it's glamorous. You know what? Those people are working, even if you're Tom Cruise and you're flying around the world promoting yeah. movies, it's not like it's, no. It, I mean, I, I get it. It's, you're not digging ditches, yeah. but it's, it's work. And I don't think people have any clue of the, the, what goes into it and for how long you did that. And with no external like backing right. of your talent at that point. I mean, no. you know, maybe you were getting jobs, but I'm sure you were not getting most of them. I was as, not as we're getting, never getting any of them. We're never yeah, getting, we're most never of getting them. any of them. No, I mean, I, you know, I started, I, I sent out my picture in 91, 92. That first job was 99. I mean, you know, I, I, I always say I never really worked until I was 30. You know, I may have gone out and I may have booked some stuff, but like for me, it came much later in life. And, and, you know, to do this job, to do the job of this job for so long without the payoff, uh, every day is a great day after that. But, you know, to speak 
to speak to what we go through, uh, you know, and again, my background is from Atlanta in the Southeast. So this might be foreign to people, other people that are trying to, you know, gig it wherever they are. And my partner, Kenny, is also a working actor in Atlanta. And so we both experienced this. If he was here, he'd be like, uh-huh. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> not only driving to long auditions, you want to talk about the jobs that we did, the corporate jobs that really nobody got to see, sexual harassment videos for Delta, um, Home Depot, um, you know, corporate films of uh, like, uh, this is a hammer and here's how you use it. <laughs> <laughs> um, gigs at um, like the world, like the convention centers. You know, we have a lot of conventions in Atlanta. And I remember very early on, and I'm going to tell this story and I tell it with pride. So, you know, there was a lot of convention work where they have these booths and they need people to promote their products or talk about their products. You know, sometimes it's a really good gig where you're actually like a host of like, you know, a show and you have a monologue to say and like, you know, come and look at our product. It's amazing. And then sometimes you're the booth bunny where you're just like handing out stuff and looking cute. I did this job once for this company called, um, and I'm just going to go ahead and give them a plug. It's called Metallon. And it was this, it was <laughs> this product that, um, that could, it was like a me- metallic product that could adhere onto plastic crown molding. Okay. And the really great thing about this product was, is that it came in all these different finishes. It came in aluminum and copper and patinaed whatever, and, you know, silver and all this kind of stuff. And so in order to promote their product, they actually hired five actors to play those different (laughs) To play those different metallic finishes. And when I say play those metallic finishes, Matthew, from head to toe, we were that color. Body paint, hairspray, clothing. And the five of us walked around the convention center for a week straight together. We were all these different finishes. I was copper. This is a totally true story. And um, we made... 500 bucks a day. So after tax, tag, and title, I was paying someone $57 for this job. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And we were exhausted because it just, it's just their arduous long days. And come to find out when you're in head to toe copper, people are staring at you all the time. You can't even like, you can't even have lunch without somebody staring at you. And I would come home every single day to Kenny and I'm, I'm like, I'm exhausted. I'm never doing this again. I'm never doing this again until next year. When you the do. rents do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, give me that copper. I'll do it again. Well, And so the cra- the crazy stuff we do, yeah. the crazy stuff well, that that's we a, do. I'm laughing, but I'm also crying because I have my own version of that. Oh, please. I mean, I have one. Please and I won't share. Go, I won't no. go into the whole thing because it. it's your interview. No, we are it's here right. to I'll share. I'll keep it brief, but just to say- at one point in New York in the early days, I was sitting in a window display on Park Avenue. Uh, I want to say it was like the Waldorf Astoria. Um, would that make sense? I don't even yeah. know. I was in a window display mm-hmm. in a robe. All It was some futuristic thing, eating popcorn. <laughs> and I had like gold glitter in my hair. And I had like face paint and a gold robe. And as I'm sitting there, <laughs> these these... Women walk by that are a couple years older than me, and they come back and they go, oh, my God, and they start pointing at me. They I, So my brother went to Boston College three years ahead of me. Yeah. I was a freshman. He was a senior. They went to BC with him, and they're no like, way. oh, my God. So then I get a call from my brother. <laughs> what are you doing? I and you can't script it. No. And, and, yeah. and, but it, it makes me it makes me laugh. It makes me cry. It also makes me proud. This is actually the the Netflix show that will probably be already out by the time this this uh, interview comes out. Um, I think what you're going to love is I play an actor who is in a desperate situation. Oh, I love it. So already. there are so many moments. I mean, yeah. I loved this character. There are so many moments that are really, really funny. I think, but also just so sad and and pathetic and right. and it's it it was a really interesting role to play because i think it's very fun. these these guys the writers are incredible so it's really funny but it's it's exposing because there's a piece of that guy in all of us and totally. i wasn't in the southeast i was in new york but i have my own version but the, the thing I'm really stuck on is driving six to eight hours for auditions. That's Dude. incredible. You deserve over a medal. And over a again. medal or to be put in an insane asylum. You know, no, I'm not seriously. sure what we can discuss which one it is. You I know? used to, <clears throat> it's crazy. Sorry. 
It's it's amazing. I used to tell a story. You know, I literally drove to and from Atlanta to Wilmington, North Carolina, three times in one week, and one was for you know the 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 first read of a one liner. I'm sure. And the second was for the callback. And then the third was for a different project. And that's back like when, when, um, you know, uh, like Dawson's Creek time. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, when, when, you know, the, you know, One Tree Hill, that's what we're talking about, like up in, in Wilmington. And so, because it was up there, you know, uh, that's where you went. Yeah. If you if you want that, that's how far we would have to go in order to have film and television, because we had some film and television, ninety ninety two, like I'll Fly Away and In the Heat of the Night in Atlanta. Uh, but it didn't really start brewing in Atlanta until, you know, the last really 10 years with the tax incentives and whatnot. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, let me let me let me fast forward to yes. two huge jobs that you got out of the southeast, I believe. Yes. Uh, one was Teen Wolf. I yes. believe you got that out of Atlanta. In a way. Okay. I want to hear that story, okay. and I think people want to hear it. And I also want to hear about The Walking Dead, because okay. that was one of those right. shows that I think just had this incredible—I kind of missed the train on that. Mm. I, I didn't really see The Walking Dead, but I know it was a, a phenomenon. So so tell us a little bit about those those how they came about, how they changed their life, if, if your life, if they did, and and all of that. Well, I'll I'll roll one even back a little bit further. Army wives. Yeah. So again, talking about the corporate work that happens in Atlanta. At the time, I was working for. Um, I was working a job that was one of those money jobs that every month I knew was I was going to be able to do this one particular job for this one particular client, make you know make a couple of bucks and be able to pay rent. Um, when Army Wives came around, I uh, put a couple of auditions. I was able to put them on tape, y'all, and actually <laughs> FedEx it, which was amazing. Um, and, it, and it comes down to they're shooting the pilot, and I'm up for one of the roles, right? For one of the regular roles. No, for, oh, okay, it, for it, recurring. It was, at this point, it was just a role, possibly recurring. Got it. But back in 2007, it was, it was a choice to be made. Yeah. And we all have those choices I think what we were talking about, like keeping yourself small or maybe, you know, branching out a little bit and becoming bigger. Yeah. And in that moment, it was there was a 24 hour period where I had to make a choice because the day that I was going to shoot the pilot was the day of the corporate gig. And I would have had to miss the ongoing corporate gig and possibly have to give that up in order to do, to do the pilot. And it was one of the harder decisions that I've ever had to make because this gig was the gig that of could have kept on gigging, yeah. right? Or do you take the pilot and see what happens, not knowing if it's it's going to be a one-shot deal or recurring? So, you know, with with Kenny, my partner's support and a lot of people, you know, that I reached out to, I took the pilot and um, the pilot took off. And Catherine Fouget, who's the, who's the head writer and creator, uh, kept us on, you know, me and an, another girl from Atlanta. Um, and, and we became these kind of like the magpies. We were the bitches and we would like call out all the other women kind of, you know, throwing shade before that was even a term. And luckily enough, Army Wives was a huge hit for Lifetime and it went on for many, many seasons, but that was my first like really recurring gig. Yeah. And the gig that I thought that I could keep in Atlanta and still pay, you know, you know, uh, rent every year, it actually collapsed after seven months. So uh, I could have gotten seven more months or I could have, you know, you know, with the decision I made started with Army Wife. So that to me was was really the start because then I had scenes to show and I had all of that experience on, on you know, on set driving up to um, was it was it in Charlotte? I think it was shot in Charlotte. I can't remember where it was shot anyways, but having to drive four and a half hours to get to work and work and drive back. So, yeah, so that kind of prepared me for, you know, what what was to come along. And when you're talking about Teen Wolf, so funny story. <laughs> I'm out in Los Angeles and I get a call from my best friend, Tiffany. And she's like, hey, I know you're out in Los Angeles, uh, but they're holding auditions here for Teen Wolf. Have you gone out for the mom? And I said, no, I don't know anything about it. And she's like, you got to look look this kid up on IMDb. So I did. And there's Tyler looking at me in the face. And I was like, oh, my God, he could be my son. Yeah. 
And I thought for sure I was, and, and Tiffany, you know, we're Snow White and Rose Red. I mean, she's the complete opposite of me. And she was going out and, and you know, Susan Walters actually auditioned for Mama McCall. Like they were looking for a different type of woman. Yeah. And so I called my, um, my managers and my agent and I was like, hey, Teen Wolf. And they were like, hey, yeah, we'll get you in on it. And so strange enough, I was out here, but it took my best friend in Atlanta. Telling you about it. She had just left the audition to tell me about it. And that's what's amazing, I think, about being in another market. You know, all I can speak to is what I know. And what I know about Atlanta, Atlanta actors is that we're very supportive. There is some ego that's out there, but really we're a community that really supports each other. And and that is one hero story that if Tiffany had not called me, who knows? Yeah. And so, you know, you know, you do the work and you 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 take the the opportunity, but talk about if if that phone call hadn't been made. Right. If she didn't have the grace to say, "Hey, this could be your opportunity." Uh, you know, I might not be here. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. Really. Shout out to her. What's yeah. her name? Tiffany Morgan. Tiffany Morgan. Love that Tiffany. That's that's great. And mm-hmm. and I've had similar, you know, right? I feel very yeah, I feel really fortunate for I the friends that I have. I hope to be able to do that for somebody I, else. I I've uh been on both sides of that equation and right. I'm very very grateful to a really great group of core friends. And I always say like, you know, young actors ask them. I was like, look, you've got to find your people, find your tribe of people that really are are rooting for you mm-hmm. and and I feel lucky that I found that with uh some some people that I've I've now known for you know over 20 years right um and we're still doing it and it's uh it's it's pretty cool when that happens so that so you you army wives kind of put you on the map yeah. you came out here was that for pilot season you were out here or something you and then you get teen wolf but you still don't know that, that that's just a pilot at that point, right? Or was it picked up? Right. So, um, and, and my mom passed actually in 2009. I didn't start coming out here until, until 2010. So I didn't physically start working in Los Angeles until 2010. And that was a, a series of events where my, um, my managers actually were um, in Atlanta representing another client. And they had gone to an agency in Atlanta and they were looking through the roster and they were like, hey, what about this girl and these people over here? And so they kind of, they were interested in a couple of people and I was lucky enough to be one of them. But when they reached out to me, my mom had just passed. And I was, the last thing that I wanted to do was even think about doing anything at that point, you know, other than waking up and crying. Uh, but uh, through a series of events, I reached out to them in January of um, 2010 and uh, and Robbie was like, this is very serendipitous because I was just about to call you because I wanted you to come out here for this audition. And I was like, okay, I can put it on tape. And so I put it on tape and I was like, I think this is good enough. I don't know. So we send the tape out and they call me. It's like four o'clock on a random Thursday. And they call me at 730 and they're like, they want to see you for a producer session on Monday. So we spent rent money for me to get out here and, uh, and I, I auditioned and then, you know, and I came back for the callback and I think I was in the mix of things. And while I was here for a week, they put, they sent me out for a whole bunch of other auditions and I actually landed CSI my first week out here. And so I did that. And then, so for 2010, I was kind of back and forth working both very infrequently, like I'd come out here for two weeks yeah. and go back to Atlanta for three months and then come back out here for two weeks. Um, and then so through that is how I was out here to then book Teen Wolf to bring me back to Atlanta. Wow. I know. Because it. for those that don't know, Teen Wolf shot in Atlanta, I think that first season or the first couple of seasons, right? First two seasons. So so when did Walking Dead, so that comes out, was that an immediate hit right away, Teen Wolf? Did that kind of yeah. And then and then Walking Dead, did that kind of piggyback off of Teen Wolf or how did that? What was really interesting about Teen Wolf is when Robbie called, and I love to tell this story. So listen up, y'all. When Robbie, my manager, called to tell me that I had booked Teen Wolf, he said, you're not their first choice. The other girls said no, because they don't want to work in Atlanta. And I was like, uh, I want to work in Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. Send me back to Atlanta with this job. Please do. And he was like, well... 
Let's see if it's a good fit, because at this point, you're only slated for three episodes. And then, you know, the parents kind of magically drift away and the kids take over the show. And I was like, all right. So then three episodes turned into however many episodes out of 100. And so that was pretty amazing. Yeah, 71, I Yay. think is what Ooh, IMDb thank tells you. me. So the, you know, uh, Walking Dead is kind of an anomaly, really, for me. You know, there, there's so few female roles. So few roles in the first couple of years because it was really just, you know, this this dirty dozen gang of, you know, thieves that were that were really propelling the show. So you're, you know, if you weren't one of the main cast members, then you were either a zombie or not on the show. So there was a couple of times where we were able to put stuff on tape. I got a call out of the blue, really, and um, my agent at the time was like, "They want you for a role for Walking Dead." But we can't tell you anything about it. We don't know if it's one day. We don't know if it's a couple of episodes. We don't know what the character's about. And I said, I would serve coffee on that yeah. set. I will do it. You know, I will show up blind. And, um, you know, it was that that showing up on that show was a, a, an amazing moment in my life and in time for me because after all of that work in Atlanta, after meeting everybody at, you know, on, on different types of sets, different types of projects, when I walked onto that set, it was like homecoming because everybody was like, yo, Ponzio, what's up? Hey, how you doing? Oh my gosh. You know what I mean? I'm like, you know, hey, how's it going? Aaron, what's up? Like, yeah. I knew everybody. And so all of those Walking Dead people were like, who the hell is this girl like coming <laughs> on this show? You know, you want to talk about building relationships and, and, and being nice and remembering and doing your job and, you know, leaving them wanting more. Yeah. In an instant, all of that paid off for me. It gets me choked up. I know it really it's... does. And and I'm, I'm here to I'm here. I'm here to tell the story. I'm here. I'm here to, uh, you know, represent. And I will also say that, yeah, I, I was there to do a job and I was there to play a character. But Lori Holden on that show reached out to me in a way as an actress that I believe led to me being on the show a little bit longer, led to people being interested a little bit more in that character because she was one of the leads and she was in Woodbury and I was kind of, you know, one of the few characters that had a voice literally on the show. And she was like, I think that my character needs a friend, you know, and she was saying this in front of the right people. And I think that her grace as a lead actress and, and welcoming me and welcoming the character really led to me being there a little bit longer. And at the time, between season three and three, season four, um, you know, I was left with the impression that I have, was going to continue for longer, you know, which is something that you always want to hear. But on a show of that caliber, it's yeah. like, oh, my gosh, my head's about to explode. Like, how am I even going to deal with this? But then between season three and season four, there were some hierarchy changes, and, uh, you know, Scott Gimple sat me down and he was like, I hate to do this to you because you're the first person that I ever have to have this conversation with. But uh, you meet your demise in season in, in episode two. Yeah. And I was like, OK. Yeah. He was like, well, that was really easy. I'm like, what are you going to do? You know, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm here past. Live by the sword, die by yeah, the sword. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll take it. Well, he, I want to just point out, though, it, you know, Lori Holden is the actress. Yes. Did that. Well, that's that's great that she did it. I also want to point out. You putting off a good vibe, you being pleasant to be around, you being prepared and professional lends someone to do that. Nobody wants to, nobody's going to stick their neck out for someone else who's going to make their life more difficult. So you, you know, just to give you credit and for people to hear it, that's, you know, you talk about serving the project. In that case, you know, you're serving number one on the call sheet in a way you're, you're, or whatever she was on the call sheet, you're, you know, she's not making that suggestion. If you came in grumpy, complaining all the time, not prepared, you know, so, so that's where people, I think, don't always realize because they don't see immediate results. Mm. But, but over time, if you conduct yourself in that way, I believe uh, that eventually people, you, eventually you get rewarded for it, you know, and maybe I'm wrong. That's how I've kind of uh, handled myself. And I feel like it's, it's worked out sometimes better than worse, you know, sometimes not as well, but uh, 
I just want to take my hat off to you because I, I believe that's that's why things like that happen to you. Oh, you're very sweet. Yeah. Thank you. I, I will acquiesce that I think that, you know, good vibes find good vibes. Yeah. But I will also say, you know, I think that she probably had the experience and we've all had this experience before. I will say being the new person on set or the new girl on set and maybe not everybody being as kind and, you know, and, and that feeling as opposed to somebody reaching out and saying, hey, let me show you the ropes. Yeah. Hey, come and be my friend. Hey, come and sit with me at lunch. And that kindness perpetrates kindness in me, which perpetrates kindness when somebody shows up on set and I'm right. able to say, hey, come and sit with me at lunch. Right. Let me show you where wardrobe is. Right. Which you Don't did for nervous. me when I, when I came to right. Teen Wolf. Right. And you so, know, that so I know that firsthand from you. And um, I, I wanted to jump to one more thing before I ask you a few questions, um, which was Chicago Fire, because yeah. I feel like that's yet another example of you came in and I don't think that that was originally necessarily intended to be what you made of it. And and are you still, I know you, you are still in the season that just ended. I don't know if you can talk about it, but you're still ongoing. Yeah. If that show comes back for another still, season, which I think it is. We're still married, you're still, yeah. still happily married with our baby. So that's, that's great. And then tell us how that started because it was similar, right? It wasn't really promised. It wasn't promised. Yeah. It was one of those things. It's like, Hey, here's this audition for, I had just um, actually transitioned to an, to having manager management and an agency out here in Los Angeles. I had left my representation in Atlanta and it was one of the first auditions that they had sent me on, my new agency. And uh, and so, of course, I wanted to make it good. But I never thought that I was going to book this. I mean, come on, Dick Wolf, Chicago Fire, forget about it. They're going to get some known entity. They're going to get they're going to get somebody that already knows somebody that knows somebody that has a name. Right. (laughs) You know, (laughs) so um, I actually um, put it on tape out here. In somebody's kitchen, you know, the living room. um, And I sent it in and I didn't even give it a second thought. And I got the call and they were like, listen. They want to book you for Chicago Fire. It's going to be five episodes. And I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, just yeah. so excited to be up there. Chicago, huge show, huge, you know, Dick Wolf. Oh, my gosh. You yeah. know, I mean, when, when for me, that that was like, oh. That was the biggest one? Well, like, I mean, in a way, in the moment, it was the biggest get? I mean, in the moment, knew- in the moment, who hasn't watched, you know, who doesn't get really excited when they see a first season episode of Law and Order? When I'm able to catch like a first or second season show, right. I mean, I get giddy inside. And what inside. season of Chicago Fire were you? Was it the first season? We started in the second season. Started I started in the, in the second season. You started season. in the second yeah. season. And we're on the seventh season. Wow. So, but, um, you know, so it was, again, it was one of those, like, for me, it was like a major accomplishment to be on a known entity show and have some yeah. role in it. And so... Got up there. Uh, Eamon Walker is an amazing person. Um, he uh, is very inclusive, a gentleman um, of the highest order and very beloved and respected. And it's, again, it's one of those moments where he reached out and he was like, this, you know, this is my partner in crime for this period of time. And, you know, and I, I gained respect by the respect that he showed me and everybody else. And yeah, so, but you came on as like a fling kind of, Yeah, right? I was supposed to but be like this gold digger, then, yeah, right? Yeah. At first it was like I was going to take advantage of the chief and like come on and, you know, disrupt his life a little bit and leave. And then I think um, they were like, well, maybe the, you know, maybe the chief deserves some love. And then it became the storyline, you know, an older established relationship older, you know, getting pregnant, surprise pregnancy. Could it, you know, something may be wrong with the baby and then the dramaticness of having the baby. And, you know, so we've had a really wonderful full like story on that show and, you know, and and we're still, you know, going strong. Yeah, that's crazy. And now there are, for for the Teen Wolf fans out there, there are a couple of uh, bizarre crossovers for Melissa and I. Mm -hmm. Um, One of them is Chicago Fire. I, I came in and played a real jerk, uh, Chief Pridgen, yes. who was the uh, interim battalion chief who who took over uh, for Wallace yes. for two episodes. Everybody hated me. I was like a liar and a cheat, and a, I got someone killed and tried to blame it on everybody. Um, and then the other thing is our birthdays. I don't know if you remember. You will always be am, older than me. I am, yeah. <laughs> So I am August 2nd, 1972, and Melissa is August, August 3rd. 3rd, 1972. So we discovered that maybe 
pretty early on on, on Teen Wolf. And right? then, you know, the twins, the Carver twins, born the 31st and the 1st. So it was like, oh, we're so in a line. Like bing, 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 yeah, bing. Yeah. yeah, but they will always be younger than us. Yes, so we, they that will always count. be way younger than <laughs> us. Um, so, okay, I have, thank you for for being here, for giving us all those stories. Um, we're going to wind it down. I've got, there are always so many questions I could ask you, but I'm just going to give you these these three. That okay. So I'm, I'm suddenly nervous. They're not, they're not that, okay. that tough. So complete this sentence. The word no actually means what? Not yet. Strong answer. Look, you don't even. No, I'm not even Most people say flinch. not yet, and then they kind of explain it. Boom, not yet. Okay. Oh, people have said that before, uh, yeah? No, no, no. People will say whatever they say, oh. and then they'll go on for a few minutes explaining it. But I just like that. Not yet. No means not yet. I talk about this with. Oh, with... see, now you're explaining. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Go, go. Uh, you not talk yet. about this. No, no. It's just everything is a building block as far as I'm concerned. Everything is, you know, something that you put in your back pocket. So no just means not yet. Yeah, I like it. Okay. What is your go-to mantra when everything falls apart? If it doesn't matter in five years, it doesn't matter. That's something that I think about a lot, you know, on the day-to-day of just being a human being. When you're talking about consequences and choices, if it doesn't matter in five years, it doesn't matter. It makes things a lot easier. That's the first time I've heard that. Oh, yeah. I like that. It's an old one. It's not mine. Well, there is the uh, blues traveler song from when I was in college. Don't mean a thing. Don't mean a thing in a hundred years. It's don't a great song. Mean, don't mean a thing if you ain't got that swing. That's I mean, do up, do Okay, last one. If you could give your younger self advice, what age would you choose to intervene, and what would the advice be? Do I have to? Do you have some, to give your younger self advice? Yeah, because at some point, I think it's a live and learn kind of thing. You know. I mean, if, you know, if, if we're going to live in that world and I, and I give myself a piece of advice at any given time, then that changes the entire trajectory of me sitting here with you right now and everything that's happened. Well, I'm not saying they're going to take your advice. (laughs) (laughs) Most young people will not take your advice. Take my advice because clearly I'm not using it. (laughs) So, so, well, okay. So maybe, you know, taking that into account, what would you say? Like if, if you, you know, at whatever period of your life, was there a period where you felt like, well, I, the young Melissa needed some guidance or needed some direction or sage piece of wisdom. And, and if so, what would you tell her? I think I would just say, you're right. You're right. You're right in your choices and you're right in your feelings and you're right with what you're doing. I think it wouldn't, you know, some people say, you know, the term keep going, you know, or you're going to make it, you know, it it would be an affirmation of just you're right. No matter what it is. No matter what it is. Even if they're killing people. Even if they're killing people. (laughs) You're right. They deserved it. They deserved it. (laughs) (laughs) Melissa Ponzio, thank you. It's so great to hang with you after it's been a while. Um, And and like I said, everybody listening, I will put, we will have show notes uh, with, with, you know, you can just go to direct quotes from the wise uh, Miss Ponzio. I don't know about that. Or you can go check out links to anything that she's passionate about and get involved. And thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Thank you. And thank you everybody out there for listening. I was very nervous today. Were you really? Thank you for being here. Yeah. Oh, come on. Come on. Come on. You do it. All right. Now I'm going to yell at you. (laughs) You know, I'm aware I probably say this every week because I truly appreciate all of my guests, but How do you not love Melissa Ponzio after hearing that conversation? So many things to learn from her, regardless of what you do for a living. For now, I'll keep it to my top three takeaways from today's conversation. Number one, the difficult but necessary decision to leave that steady corporate job when she was offered the Army Wives pilot. Many of you probably don't know this, but most pilots do not get picked up and turned into an actual TV series, let alone become hit shows. And when they say possibly recurring, that is zero guarantee that you're doing anything more than one episode. So the lesson is, if you really want something, sometimes you got to roll the dice. You can't fly if you don't take the leap. Even if you look at that Teen Wolf story, after she made the tape in Atlanta— 
They call her on a Friday, say they need her in L.A. by Monday, so she spends her rent money to fly across the country for an audition, a chance at a role. Happens all the time, but that's what it takes. Then, while she's in L.A., she lands an episode of CSI. I'd say that's God or the universe, whatever you believe, rewarding that bold action. That CSI gig ended up paying for the flight and then some. And then she landed the life-altering role on MTV's Teen Wolf. Number two, Melissa's friend Tiffany Morgan telling her about the role of Mama McCall on Teen Wolf. Melissa said if Tiffany didn't have the grace to be honest about having just auditioned for that role, I never would have known about it. Many times it's those moments when something that happens for you beyond your control and pushes you or pulls you to an opportunity you've been dying for, but for whatever reason didn't have the fortune or strength or luck to get, those are the moments that end up really shifting things for you. I love that Melissa acknowledges this grace, and that's one of the qualities I value most about her, gratitude. Number three, The Walking Dead. She said it was like homecoming. After all those years of struggle and hard work, it all came full circle. She knew people on set. They knew her. All those years of treating people well came back to her. And then, kind of a bonus takeaway here, Lori Holden, one of the stars of the show, displays how to act when you have the power and the effect it has on those around you. She paid it forward. As Melissa said, be the person who says to the newcomer, come and sit with me at lunch. All right, that's it for today. I can't thank Melissa enough for sitting down with me. Can't thank all of you for listening. If you dig 10,000 No's, share it with your friends. If you think they can benefit from hearing these stories, these life lessons, any reviews you leave on iTunes really help the show's cause. We know it takes a few minutes, so we appreciate them. And if you're not subscribed yet, you should be, so you don't miss any episodes when they come out every Friday. If you liked this conversation with Melissa today, go back in our archives and listen to one of these past episodes. Their links will be in the show notes. Actor Lyndon Ashby, another Teen Wolf vet who you may know from Melrose Place or many other films and TV shows. Actor Kevin Daniels from Dennis Leary's USA show Sirens or actress Tony Torres, whom I met when I worked with her on Amazon's Goliath. All of them have incredible journeys, not unlike Melissa's. We hope to see you back here next Friday for more 10,000 No's. A reminder, follow me on social media for announcements and promo videos of who's next. Those handles are at Maddie Dell on Instagram, at Matthew Del Negro on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at info at 10,000nos.com. That's the number 10,000 if you want to be added to our mailing list. Thanks again for being here. Have a great week and keep on keeping on. 